0: Our monthly theme is Welcome. We are welcoming spring, as our altar of bunnies and eggs implies. And we have our welcome mat out here up front. And welcome is one of our developmental ministry goals that we're doing these uh, four months, the four goals. So in your developmental ministry application, you said that As a caring community, we want to deepen and broaden our capacity to welcome and engage a variety of people, including families with young children, people with physical and neurological challenges, people of differing cultures, ethnicities, and races, and people of a variety of sexual orientations and gender identities. So there is really so much involved in becoming even more welcoming than you already are. Something that Carol Johnson, our board president, said to me a couple weeks ago, that she had been looking at some of the writings and thoughts people have about change, and she said that in that uh, writing, it said that it's harder to go from good to great than from going from eh, not so great to good. And I can see that because y'all are a good congregation, a healthy congregation in so many ways. And you can just rest on that. I mean, that's, that's the easy thing to do when you're good. But my sense, based on your developmental ministry aspirations and your vision for this congregation, is that you want to be great. You want to be welcoming to everybody unequivocally in all ways. So certainly, a lot of this idea of welcome rests on how we treat those who come here and how we include them, and above all, how we are willing to be changed by them. And then, because that's a lot about how how we are, uh, and I know from comments that I hear from visitors that generally we are experienced as very warm and welcoming people. And then there are some other welcoming ways that aren't so much about how we behave as people, but they're about other kinds of choices that we make, about things like signage and images that we use and forms that people fill out to do different things. Those images and symbols and forms and signs, they can also uh, be welcoming more or less. And so there's really many layers to this welcoming thing. And how the welcome is not only in our behavior, but even in how the building appears, how the building functions in our social media, the images that we show in worship and elsewhere. And although what I'm going to be talking about today might seem like a small thing, it is really large and important and vital in many ways, especially when it comes to welcoming. Soon, we are going to be changing our congregational name tags for members, and uh, one main reason is that they are not easy to read for folks with any kind of visual challenges or troubles. My eyes are pretty good, and I can't read them from more than a foot away. And when everyone knows everyone, our name tags don't seem so important, but people come here every week who don't know us. Uh, And uh, I know as a visitor, I would personally not feel comfortable zoning my eyes in six inches away from anybody's name tag. So we're going to be making our new name tags in-house, and there's a lot of stuff to figure out about where to put them, how to store them, uh, you know, all that sort of logistical stuff. So, and as we transition to these new and larger name tags over the next few months, uh, in them is another opportunity to be more welcoming, and that is by having our personal gender pronouns on our name tags, and I'm talking about words like he, she, they, per, and other forms, and also all of those indirect and possessive forms like theirs, him, hers, pers, them, his, etc., referring to people. And the way that they want to be referred to is so critical for the deeper kind of welcoming we want to have here. One of my struggles with this sermon this morning is I didn't want it to be all kind of, uh, you know, lectury and all of that. So I'm trying to balance sort of information sharing, teaching, if you will, with really getting into the spiritual aspects of this. So first... I do want to talk about the pronouns and why they matter, which happens in a bigger context. All of us have three very important ways to understand and identify ourselves. And we have many, many more than three. But the three that relate to sex and gender are core and central to most of our identities. And what I'm talking about is biological sex, sexual orientation, and gender identity. And I'm not going to get into unpacking these a whole lot because, like, that could be a whole day long, easily workshop, which would be great. I just have some really basic critical points to make. Um, These three ways of understanding our identity are completely different from one another. In other words, they are independent. So the fact that you might be biologically male says nothing about what your sexual orientation and your gender identity are or will be. So these three ways are not automatically related but independent ways of identifying ourselves. So biological sex is about your physical, genetic, and hormonal structures that determine your biological sex. We're talking about your genitals, your reproductive organs, the hormonal systems that affect those, and also your chromosomes, your very genetic structure. Sexual orientation is about who you are attracted to sexually. And gender identity is about your own inner concept of yourself as being a woman, a man, a blend of both, or neither. So the two critical points, there's two critical points I want to make about these three ways of understanding our identity. The first one is that none of these ways, none of the three of them, is simply binary, meaning you're one thing or another. So regarding biological sex, there isn't just male and female. There are at least 30 different and fairly common combinations of genitals, reproductive organs, and genetic sexual structures. Some of these combinations are apparent at birth, some appear in adolescence, and only two of them are what we think of as typical male and typical female. Notice I'm not saying normal, because all 30 of these variations are normal by definition because they are human. And This shows up a lot in the rest of the animal world, too, but like, that's another great big thing. So, there isn't just male and female. There's not even a spectrum, because some folks don't even put themselves on that spectrum regarding biological sex. Some people are not on that spectrum. Regarding sexual orientation, people are not just gay or straight. There are many ways people can be oriented regarding whom they are attracted to, including, again, this is why the linear spectrum doesn't work, people who are asexual, meaning that they don't experience a lot in the way of sexual attraction or desire at all. That is not part of their life. Regarding gender identity, It is not just about being feminine or masculine, woman or man. There is huge variation. Some people do not wish to be identified in one way at all. They don't want to be in a box. Perhaps they identify as both in ways. Perhaps not as either agender or non-gender. And perhaps they are fluid in their expression, their presentation of gender, meaning that they might change how they present themselves regarding masculine or feminine uh, in different ways. And those folks, you might hear words like non-binary, genderqueer, or genderfluid. And so, first critical point, none of these is simply either-or. My second critical point is that gender, that gender identity, it is a social construct. Gender, and what I mean by that is gender identity is not biologically determined or driven. There is no scientific relationship between gender identity and biological sex. The way we perceive ourselves and present ourselves to the world as feminine or masculine or any combination or neither has nothing to do with our biological sex. So gender identity is not determined by our biological sex. Anthropologist Margaret Mead proved this long ago with her groundbreaking cross-cultural work in the South Pacific way back in the 1920s and 1930s. But as a society, we are still catching up. So in this sense, gender is the same as race. Race is also a social construct that has no biological or scientific reality. The groupings that we think of as races, that's not real in science. Um, But to say that race and gender are social constructs, is not to say they are unimportant or not powerful or not meaningful. So you'll never hear me say race is just a social construct or gender is just a social construct because they both obviously have huge social power and meaning. They have huge social reality, which is uh, probably more important in some ways than biological reality. And this means... This powerful social reality means that there are powerful norms that Carla Bill referred to in our society about gender and how we're all supposed to present and express our gender in terms of our appearance and our behavior. Now, these norms, well, first off, they vary hugely from culture to culture, uh, but our norms about that, they are breaking down to some extent. I mean, when you think about women's rights, that's a gender identity issue, Uh, you know, it has it been very long since women could not hold so many jobs. We're not allowed to go to universities. Uh, the same thing, we're not allowed to vote. Uh, the same thing for race. So these norms are breaking down about how we are supposed to present ourselves gender-wise, but they're still very powerful. And I would say that the dominant general norm is still of a binary. You are either a man or a woman and you are supposed to present yourself accordingly your behavior and appearance is supposed to match the biological sex you are perceived to be. So, what does all of this discussion, which actually isn't very much, but all I can do in a sermon, have to do with pronouns? Our personal pronouns are gendered in everyday use. You are either she or he, her or him, and your stuff is hers or his. Uh, That's how we've done it in English for a very long time, although many other languages do that differently with different categories. So for people whose identity does not conform to society's categories regarding their appearance and their perceived biological sex, it is painful to them and disrespectful to them not to be referred to as how they see themselves. This is called misgendering, misgendering. Because how we are referred to pronoun wise is as much of our core identity as our name and as our gender identity itself. Just as you would be uncomfortable if someone called you by a name that is not yours, you would be uncomfortable being called by the wrong personal pronoun. Because I identify as a woman, and my appearance mostly conforms to society's standards of femininity, I have never been misgendered, even as a child. No one ever had to ask my parents, is that a little boy or a little girl? Partly my name, of course, Cindy, girl's name. Um, So I have never experienced that kind of misgendering, but I can tell you if someone started referring to me as he and him, that would be both strange and terrible to me. So I can talk about that, that disrespect, that lack of love, but what I would like to do is um, show you a video so you can hear uh, directly from some people what their pronouns mean to them. Using correct pronouns is all about respect for people's sense of self, their identity, their inherent worth and dignity. And it's really about love when you get down to it, uh, both love and respect. And for us as a community, a religious community, using people's pronouns correctly is really about welcoming so, my hope is that when gender non conforming or gender queer or gender fluid or non binary people come in our door, that if they see people's pronouns on their name tags, they will feel welcomed before anybody says a word to them. They will see that we recognize that there are many ways to be human. They will understand that we have at least some knowledge about and appreciation for and respect for the true variety of gender in humans. And in the video, the one person said, this is so easy, and to put it on your name tags, I think is easy because it sends that message right away without you having to say anything. At the same time, it is a change And it may not seem easy to you. This is a lot to take in, I believe. A lot to grasp at a deep level. And I am happy to talk to you about that if you uh, are struggling with this in any way. Um, And I really, you know, putting your gender pronouns on your name tag is going to be a choice for you to make. Um, You're all adults, no one rules you here. Um, Not me, not the board, not anyone else, of course. It's your choice. And as Alex Capitan said in our reading this morning, I hope your choice is love um, in this case. I hope that's the choice you will make uh, at some point. And I have a couple of handouts up here. They are two different handouts, both are (coughs) two-sided. Um, you can come up after the service and, and get them that really I think are just super helpful in kind of uh, outlining some more of what I said. So here are some important ideas that I hope will make it um, easier for you. Um, It is really important for those of us who appear to be gender conforming to identify our correct pronouns too. In other words, if only non-binary or gender queer people have their pronouns on their name tags, then that's really kind of a bias. We're singling them out going, oh, you're the ones that need to tell us how to name you. Ugh. So, we all do it. as someone said in the video, it's best not to use the phrase preferred pronouns because this implies that the pronouns people use really don't belong to them, but are just preferred by them and that somewhere they have real their real pronouns. Uh, so just your pronouns. And the best way to do this is like, you know, as, as this is something that's not visible uh, on the outside of how people are. And so the best way to do this And this was a change, for sure, in how we meet people, is when you meet someone to ask, to introduce yourself, what pronouns do you use? And state your own. And that will be so much easier if they're right there on your name tag. Because you can't guess, and you should not guess or assume, because that's kind of part of the struggle for people, is, as you heard, folks make assumptions. And, you know, it's not like these assumptions are bad. We're all operating under the norms of society that have been around like a very long time. So this is in some ways putting your gender pronouns on your name tag is easy. But I want to acknowledge that the stuff underneath that is not necessarily easy simply because it's change. And change is hard and challenging at times uh, for sure. All of our pronouns are profound, meaning they go to the depths of our being, and they have so much significance for us. They are critical to our sense of self and identity, just like our names. When Hunter College professor Courtney Martin was pregnant with her first child, she chose not to ask about her baby's biological sex before birth. And after her child was born and named Maya Martin Elizabeth Carey, Martin wrote, I don't want her gender to be the primary influence on her identity, especially not at such a young age. I want her curiosity, her innate attractions, her growing range of abilities and language, and her relationships to feel like the defining influences on who she is becoming. I want my arms to be so wide My language to be so generous that no way of her self-expression feels off-limits, either because it fits the stereotype or defies it. I know I can't build a wall between her and the world. The world is inside our family. The world is inside our house. The world is inside me. I can only hope that her gender feels like a creative force, not a constraint, like something to play with rather than something to be restricted by. I want that for her and I realize I want that for me. I hope that for each of us, our gender identities can be a source of creativity, of freedom, of liberation, not restriction or constraint. That we have no walls or boxes in our self-expression. And that we can see each other and know each other and name each other as we wish to be seen and known and named. Because that is what love and respect and care and community are all about. So may it be, blessed be.